Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Study after study tells us that friends are important in one's life. Friends stick with us through the good and the bad. They celebrate with us and cheer us on. They cry with us and support us. Friends like that are hard to find. Today, John shares about the best friend any of us could have in his message, Jesus, our greatest friend. Well, if I gave you a piece of paper this morning with this sentence on there, Jesus is my blank, what word would you write in that blank? I've been thinking about that for the last few days because if you gave me a piece of paper and said, John, I want you to fill in the blank, Jesus is my blank, I thought, now what word would I put in there? Certainly, I would write the word Savior, and I think probably that would be the first word that came to your mind, too, because for those of us who are saved, that's who He is. He has forgiven us, saved us makes it possible for us to go to heaven when we die. So that would be a great word to put in there. Maybe you would write the word Lord. Not only is Jesus our Savior, but He is our Lord. Maybe you would write Healer. Jesus is my healer. Certainly if you have been healed of an illness like we're praying that Vanessa will be, you could write that in that blank. Jesus is my healer. Maybe you would write the word Deliverer. If you've been in a tight spot or a difficult situation and miraculously, supernaturally, God delivered you out of that and brought you through that, you could write that word, He is my deliverer. Lots of words you could write there. You could write, He's my provider, He's my protector, He's my peace, and on and on we could go. But there's one word that each of us should be able to write in that blank if you think about it. And the word I'm going to give you today is something that we know is true When I say it, you're going to say, yeah, you're right on that. And yet the truth is we don't often think about Jesus in this way. The fact of the matter is you should be able to look at that sentence and write this down. Jesus is my friend. Because that's who he wants to be in your life. In fact, it says in the Old Testament that there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that friend is Jesus. In the New Testament, Jesus referred to himself as the friend of sinners. And that makes me feel good because that's who I am. I'm a sinner. And so if Jesus is a friend of sinners, that means Jesus can be my friend. And the fact is, in the day in which we're living, in the time in which we're living, unprecedented in many ways, we need friends. Um, There's so many today who feel isolated and they feel cut off and they feel like they're going through life all alone. And if ever we needed a friend, we need a friend right now. I was reading a survey over the weekend about 2,000 American adults who were, who were interviewed and who were surveyed and trying to learn their attitude and their feelings toward this whole idea of friends. And 45% of those interviewed said that they have a difficult time making new friends. Of that 45, 42% said the primary reason is because they're shy and it's hard to, to reach out to somebody they don't know. And for that reason, did you know the average American has not made a new friend in five years? Think about that. Five years and they've not made a new friend. What was also interesting as I read on was to learn that at 23 years of age, our popularity peaks 
And however many friends you have when you're 23, that's probably the most friends that you're ever going to have. Now, think back to when you were 23 years of age. Some of you are 23 right now. For me, I have to go back in my mind at least 10 or 12 years to get back to my 23rd year. But when we were 23, we had just gotten out of college. And so at that age, you're not far enough removed from high school that you've lost your high school friend. I mean, at 23, you still have high school friends. You have your college friends. Now you got your first job after college. And so you're making, you're excited about your job and you're meeting all these new friends. Never had a job like that before. And so now you've got all these friends in your new job. And so at 23 years of age, now this is the average person. Some, this doesn't apply to, but for the average, you have all these friends in your life. And yet, as you go on in life and you get older and you leave that job and this job, now this job to that job, and now you're far enough away from your high school and college friends that probably you've lost touch with them. You've had so many jobs, you've lost touch with people in previous jobs. Now it's just who you're working with now. And so as we get older, the number of friends, true friends that we have actually goes down. Did you know, I did not know, had I not read this survey, that the average adult American has 16 friends. Now you think about how many friends that you have right now. You may have way more than that. You may have less. The average American has 16 friends. Of that, three of those friends are considered lifelong friends. Another five are considered maybe not lifelong friends, but the person says, I feel so close to him or so connected to her that I would hang out with them on my free time. I would go eat with them. I'd go to a movie with them. I'd watch a ball game with them. I would hang out with them. The other eight were defined like this. I feel close to these people, these eight people. They're, one of, they're, they're, my, they're half of my 16 friends, but I don't feel close enough that I would ever hang out with them. I wouldn't go anywhere with them. So think about that. The average American has 16 friends, but eight of the 16, you would never do anything with one-on-one, so you're really down to eight. Five of those are not lifelong. You've got three friends, and we know that as we go through life, people die, people move, things happen. And so no wonder do the studies tell us that the average American adult has two people in his or her life that they could bear their soul to. In other words, if you're going through something, you know, a, a difficult time in your family life or financially, or maybe you're even struggling emotionally with anxiety or depression or whatever it might be, the average person has two people. You're not going to go to your Sunday school class or your connection group this morning and say, hey, I just want everybody to know I'm having a complete breakdown in every area of my life. You're just not going to do that. But you have these two friends that you could call You could call them at 3 o'clock in the morning and pour your soul out. I hope nobody feels that close to me to call at 3 in the morning. But you could just call them whenever and pour your soul out to them and tell them what you're going through. And so it's interesting as we think about the fact that we have so few friends. We feel disconnected. And even in this service today and to those watching at home, there's some who are listening to my preliminary remarks and you're saying, you know what, John, I can relate to that. I have two or three people in my life that I, could, that I could really bear my soul to, but not many more than that. And I don't have many more than that that I would ever really hang out with or go to a movie with or anything. And so I kind of feel lonely myself. May I make a suggestion today for everybody listening to this message, the wisest thing that we could do would be to make Jesus Christ our best friend. Because Jesus is the only friend we have that not only is he a lifelong friend, he is an eternal life friend. It was interesting, in the study they said the two most important 
elements or requirements or prerequisites or character traits of a true friend are number one, honesty, and number two, trust. Years ago, there was a movie that came out, and very popular movie, and in the movie, they talked about the, a circle of trust. And the person was saying to this other person who was about to marry into the family, the, the, the future father-in-law was saying to the future son-in-law, listen, in order for you to be accepted in this family, in order for you to be one of us, you have to be in the circle of trust. You can't lie to us. You can't mis- mislead or deceive us. You have to be honest with us. And so the circle of trust. Well, think about this. Who is more honest than Jesus? Nobody. Who is more trustworthy than than him? Nobody is. And so Jesus meets the requirements. He has the character traits of honesty and trust. And so Jesus Christ should be our greatest friend. And yet, I I know we know Jesus should be our friend. I know you hear that and you think, yes, Jesus should be our friend. But let me ask you today, would you say that Jesus is your friend? Have you hung out with Jesus in the past seven days? Have you been anywhere intentionally, you and Jesus? Just the two of you, you've been with him and you've been in his presence. Now, one of the things, one of the reasons why I know that Jesus is such a great friend, not only from my own life, but I'm talking about from a biblical perspective that I know Jesus is a great friend, is because after the resurrection... Now think about this. He was crucified, buried, and risen. He had finished what God sent him to do. Jesus could have gone back to heaven on the morning of the resurrection. The first Easter, he could have gone back to heaven. His work was finished. There was nothing else he had to do to fulfill any uh, Old Testament prophecies or to uh, please God. He had been obedient. And yet Jesus made a decision to stay on this earth for 40 days after the resurrection before returning back to his father. Now, why? Why did Jesus say to himself, I'm going to stay on the earth for a month and 10 days before I go back to heaven? The reason Jesus did that was Jesus had some friends who were in trouble, who had special needs, who were going through a hard time. For example, he had a friend named Mary, and Mary was sad And she was hopeless, thinking that Jesus had not risen from the dead and thinking that he was still dead. And so that was was her problem. He had another friend called Thomas, and Thomas was consumed by doubt, doubting Thomas. And so Jesus said to himself, if I go back to heaven now, Thomas will never get out of this doubt. He will never develop into the person I want him to be. And so I've got to spend some extra time with Thomas. Did you know that church history tells us That when it was all said and done, Jesus did get Thomas over his doubt. He brought him to faith. And Thomas ended up moving to India. And he started several churches in India. And tradition tells us that his body is buried on a hill by one of the airports there today in India. But Jesus said, if if I don't get Thomas out of this doubt, he'll never have an effective ministry. Jesus had another friend named Peter. And Peter had sinned horribly. He had denied that he even knew Jesus. And he felt so guilty and he felt so bad and he felt so shameful. And Peter thought to himself, man, I will never be able to do anything for God. I've committed a big sin denying Christ publicly three separate times. And so really Peter had kind of quit the ministry had gone back into the fishing business, and Jesus said to himself, I can't leave Peter like that. You see, when Peter looked at himself, he saw a failure. But when Jesus looked at Peter, he saw the man who would one day preach that great sermon on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people would be saved. When Peter looked at himself, he saw somebody who had blown it. 
But when Jesus looked at Peter, he saw somebody who would one day go on to write two books in the New Testament. And so Jesus said to himself, I can't leave Peter feeling guilty and thinking I can't forgive him and that I can't use him. He's got to know my grace is sufficient. My blood will wipe that away. I can give him a new chance. I can give him a, a new beginning. I can give him a, a second chance. And so Jesus said, I've got to stay around a little bit longer to help Mary out of her sadness and her loneliness to help Thomas get through his doubts. I've got to get Peter through all this guilt and get him to move on to what I want him to do with his life. And so Jesus said, I'm going to stay on this earth for 40 days to help my friends. 40 days when he could have been back in heaven celebrating with God, celebrating with the angels, and in a perfect environment. No, he stayed on the earth to help his friends. Now, I want to mention, before we even open our Bible this morning, three things that makes Jesus such a good friend. Number one, he lifts our spirit. When we are down, when we are depressed, when we are discouraged, when we are lonely, when we are sad, Jesus lifts our spirit. Isn't that what we all want in a friend? I mean, I want my friends to be balcony people. I want them to lift me up. I want them to encourage me, not to pull me down and, and make me de more depressed. I want them to lift me up. Jesus does that. Second thing Jesus does, he strengthens our faith. He, he gets us to a place in our life where we're, we're flying above the, uh, the low clouds of doubt, and we're, we're above that and beyond that, and we're living a victorious life. And not only that, Jesus never gives up on us. Now, that's, that's what Peter experienced. Jesus didn't give up on him, and Jesus doesn't give up on any of us, and we're all thankful for that. Now, here's what's interesting, and I know you can't read my notes from where you're sitting, and my handwriting's so bad I can barely read it from where I'm standing. But when I prepared this sermon, my intention was to preach about these three friends, Mary, Thomas, and Peter. And in my notes, I have friend one, friend two, and friend three. And so I was going to stand up here today and talk for a little bit about how he helped Mary out of her loneliness, Thomas out of his doubt, and Peter out of his guilt. That's what I plan was planning on doing. In the first service this morning, and I can't, you can't recreate something that God does, but I'm just trying to explain what God just did about an hour and a half ago in this room. As I was getting in to talking about Mary and her loneliness and her feelings of sadness, it was just like I felt the Spirit of God say to me, don't even talk about Thomas in his doubt. Don't even talk about Peter in his guilt. The focus of this message today needs to be on Mary, her loneliness, and her sadness. And so that's what I did. I never got to the second and third uh, things I was wanting to talk about today. We talked exclusively in the first service about how Jesus is the greatest friend that we could ever have because Jesus helps us when we're lonely, and Jesus helps us when we're sad. Now, I've been preaching for a long time, and I know God well enough to know, and I know the preaching experience well enough to know that, yes, God wants us to prepare. God wants us to plan. God doesn't want us to come out here and just make it up as we go. He, do, he doesn't want that. He wants preparation. But when a, when a person like me gets in a setting like this and just feels God leading the sermon in a different direction. One of the things I like about preaching is you never really know what it's going to be like till you get out here with God and the people and start doing it. 
This is why my, my dad doesn't. I don't. We don't write out a manuscript, memorize the manuscript, and come out here on Sunday and quote the manuscript. Now, I know a lot of great preachers who do that, and I would never be critical of that. But for me, it doesn't work because what I wanted, I view preaching as a romance. You never know exactly how it's going to go until you get out here in the live moment because when you're out here, you're not just out here with your notes. You're out here with the people of God, and you're out here with the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God is guiding you and leading you. And sometimes, and I would say most of the time in a setting like this, the Spirit of God is helping me remember what I've prepared. Maybe He gives me a thought I didn't plan on saying. But nine times out of ten, it's like God says to me, you prepared your sermon, you prayed over it, go preach it, and I'm going to help you do it. But there are those times, and today is one of them, when you, when you get up here planning on doing one thing, and in the heart of the preacher, the speaker, you feel that God is leading you in a different direction that you had planned on going. And what I have learned is this. When that happens, we saw it at 930, and I guarantee it's going to happen in this service. There are people here today who need to hear what will be the full emphasis of this message, and that is when you are sad, when you are lonely, when you are anxious, when you are discouraged, and even when you are depressed, isolated, cut off from everything that feels comfortable to you, it is in those times in your life that you discover that Jesus Christ is the greatest friend that you could ever have. And so somebody needs to hear that today, and that's what I'm fixing to talk about for the next few minutes. So would you open your Bibles to John chapter 20? We were going to cover this part anyway, but as it turns out, it's the only thing we're going to cover. It's a one-point sermon, and so uh, I hope that it would be a blessing. But in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 11, we read about something that happened on the morning of the resurrection. <laughs> this is Easter, the very first Easter Sunday morning, and Jesus is out of that grave, and yet Mary doesn't know it. This is Mary Magdalene. And interestingly enough, years earlier, Jesus had cast, she was demon-possessed, and Jesus had cast the demons out of her. And so after he cast the demons out and changed her life and saved her and forgave her and everything, she became one of his followers. This was up in the Galilee area, 70 miles away from Jerusalem where he would be crucified, but she became a follower of Jesus, and she followed him from Galilee down to Jerusalem. She witnessed the crucifixion. She saw him be buried. And she was hoping for a resurrection, but she didn't know how that might work out. Well, in verse 11, here's what it said. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. She's sad. And why is she sad? And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. So the stone has been rolled away. The tomb is open. And she's going in there more than likely to anoint the body of Jesus, certainly to pay her respect. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet. And if you've been to Jerusalem and you've been to the garden tomb, you know that when you walk in that tomb, the, 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 the place where his body was laid was on the right, and you can see exactly where his body was laid. And on the top and of the bottom of that, there were angels. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. In other words, somebody's taken the body of Jesus somewhere. And I don't know where they've taken him, and how can I go pay my respect, or how can I do what I came to do? Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. So he had not revealed herself yet. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? 
She, supposing him to be the gardener, so Jesus is right in front of her, but she thinks it's the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said, this is one of the most tender verses in all the Bible. Jesus said to her, Mary. One word. He called her name. And when Jesus said Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabbani, which is to say, teacher. And so in this moment, when she is so sad, so lonely, so confused, so anxious, all those things, she's talking to Jesus, thinking it's the gardener. Jesus calls her name, and in that moment, her eyes are open, and she's aware, this is Jesus. He's alive. And when he called her name, that's how she knew it was him. And in the speaking of her name, it was like Jesus was saying to her, I know who you are. I know why you're here. I know how you feel. I know everything about you. Now, in my Bible, right above Mary in verse 16, I've written my name, John. So that every time I read this passage, it is a reminder that just like Jesus knew everything about Mary, Jesus knows everything about you. Now, let me just slow that down and make an application here today. Somebody needs to hear this. Whatever it is that you're going through today, Jesus knows exactly how you feel. He knows what your emotional state is. He knows what your circumstances are. He knows about your family dynamic. He knows everything. And if you could just hear today him calling your name, Billy, Jamie, Susan, whatever your name is, God knows it. And when he revealed himself that way to Mary, she knew that he knew. And then she knew that was him. And so that sadness and that weight and that loneliness was all lifted off her shoulder. How does Jesus become our friend? Now, at the beginning of the message, I said we might write Jesus our Savior. And I think 95% of the people here today, maybe not quite that high, but maybe 95 would be able to say that. But I wonder today, how many here could truly say, yeah, he's my Savior, all right, but I have found Jesus Christ to truly be my friend. How does Jesus become our friend? Well, he becomes our friend when he speaks to us. There's something about Jesus speaking to us, not just speaking to us, but revealing himself to us, making himself real to us. And today during this worship time, if you could get this, if I could somehow communicate it and you could somehow get it, that Jesus Christ knows everything that you're going through right now and he not only knows he is with you he not only knew who Mary was and what she was feeling he was with her he joined her in that and that's when Jesus became real to Mary would you like for Jesus to become real to you today you can gain Jesus as the greatest friend you could ever possibly imagine and you can do that right now won't you pray with me just say Dear Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart, Jesus. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me and I trust you to do it. Please make me the person you created me to be. In your name I pray, amen. For those of you who have just prayed to receive Christ as your savior today, We would love to know about it and to rejoice with you in your decision. We are so very happy for you. In fact, the Bible tells us that the angels are rejoicing in heaven right now over your decision. 
Won't you please share your decision with us by sending an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or by giving us a call at 1-800-337-0157. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find this message along with many others on our website, www.peacebybelieving.org, under the broadcast tab. If you would like to grow in your relationship with the Lord, we have some resources that we believe will help you. Simply look for the Booklets tab on peacebybelieving.org. The booklets, Never Alone, and How to Be a Happy Christian are great companion studies to go along with John's message today. We also invite you to like Peace by Believing Ministries on Facebook and follow at PBB underscore broadcast on Twitter. Please share, like, and comment on these social media outlets. If the ministry of Peace by Believing has been a blessing in your life, please let your friends and family know about our program. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Brent as he concludes his message, Jesus, Our Greatest Friend.